So for the, um, the last nine years, I have been a runner. Now, the last two months I haven't, or three months, because I hurt my knee. But before uh, this point, I've been a runner, and I've increasingly been more and more and more of a runner. In fact, I was on track for this year to run over 800 miles. I know. How cool is that? You'd think for someone who's a body type like mine, it would look a little different. But they're very slow and very long miles. But, I, but running has become this thing I've taken on uh, when Jeff first got hired, and uh, he's like, oh, I like running. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. And it turns out it's not fun. Um, <laughs> But I have body issues and I like to eat, and so I thought, well, running is kind of the cheap, easiest way to take care of business, and so I started running. But if any of you have ever run just to run, well, some of you love it, and God bless you, but if you ever just said, hey, I'm going to run to run to lose weight or for some sort of thing, and you don't have a goal, you don't have a thing to get after, it is the, it's, it's even worse than just running, right? It just seems like pointless. Well, so what I found is if you sign up for a race, now you have a goal, you have a thing to get up to. And by race, it's not to run quickly, it's just to finish. So I realized I will never be a 5K person because I will just get blown away, but I'll run a long way. That's my deal. I'm going to run far and then no one can make fun of me. So I started signing up for half marathons. And uh, over the last 10 years, I've done half marathons and full marathons. But a few years ago, some friends of mine at the YMCA said, Ben, you need to sign up for the Nike Women's Marathon. And I'm like, um, Hello? I'm not a woman. And they're like, no, 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 it's cool. It's for leukemia, people, it's fundraisers, it's women and men, and it is so great, and you should sign up for it. And in fact, it's such a popular race that you actually have to do a lottery for it. And so we all put our names in for a lottery, and we submitted for the Nike Women's Half Marathon in the city a few years ago. And we got in. I'm like, this is so fun. This is the middle of my, I mean, I'm, I was running a couple of half marathons a year. I was all trained up. This is going to be great. And uh, so we show up and I miss the expo because I always miss the expo. So someone got all my stuff for me, which I should have because the expo prepares you for what it's going to be like, but I missed it all. I just showed up in the morning down at Union Square in this sea of women. Now, normally I'm like, oh, that's great, a sea of women. But as a runner who's going to be running with all these women, I'm like, where are all the men? So I start looking around and I go, oh, this is how it was. There were these elite runner men, you know, the men who all compete for marathons and half marathons, and they just find every race to run, and they run. Those guys were there. Those aren't my people. So I looked around, I'm like, where are the other men? And then there are all these men with like, I'm running, you know, for mom. And, you know, they had all these people in their life who either died or were struggling or battling cancer in some form or another. And they were all noble. And like, I'm running for this person. I'm running for this person. Or it was like their wife who had it, you know, you know and they were going to run with their wife and pace them. And then me. Random, slightly overweight, slow runner. <laughs> but I had to run. I paid my money. I got my bib. And I started running. So away I go, and, uh, and I took off. But what it turned out is the Nike Women's Marathon is unlike any race I had ever run. There's this weird, like, woman culture. I mean, I'm not a part of it. I'm a man. But there's this weird woman culture. Because the only woman culture I know about is kind of being snarky about people's uh, gene sizes. But this was a different sort of woman culture. It was the women culture where it's like, we are women. And we are strong. And we can do this thing. Every other marathon and every other half marathon I ran, everyone had their earbuds in. You just are fixed on your goal and you get after it. But this, we are women. And we did it together. And women, some women, at least the women I ran with, ran slowly. So I hung out with them. <laughs> and what I, feel, what I realized is as I'm running this half marathon, I realized, man, these women, there's a different sort of vibe when you're running this thing. And I found, I enjoyed myself for the whole 13 point whatever miles. I enjoyed myself because, A, it's a half marathon, so you have to be ready. 
you have to like dress appropriately, you know, you have to put on like your chafing, you know, stick in the places so you don't, you know, chafe and you, you have to put on the right clothes and they give you a nice teal shirt. So I wore my nice teal shirt. And so you have the right clothes, um, but then you also have to, it's a long, long way. And so there's, you have to find these markers. And, uh, and what's interesting is there's these certain moments where it gets hard. It was in the city and there's these hills, right? And as you're running up these hills, well, it was like slow jogging. So like anyone, you're like, you're really walking. But I was with all these women and didn't care. But what all of a sudden, it was like this birthing class. I look over and this woman's like, you are strong and you can do it. And all these women with their Luna Layla, Layla stuff and me and my thing, you know, we're just kind of plodding along. And this woman with like a bullhorn or something, she's like the coach and she's like, you can do this. And I'm like, we're not even really going up a hill, but everyone was all invested in helping these guys do it. And so there was these encouragement. There was a long, long race and you got, there was people helping and you get up the hill and then they're like around the corner here's Ghirardelli chocolate and we're like Ghirardelli chocolate no way every other race is like goo and you get Ghirardelli chocolate and then at the end like one more mile and you get your Victoria I mean not not Victoria's Secret jeez <laughs> that was wrong race um it was a, a, you get a Tiffany, a Tiffany's necklace right around the corner one mile you get a Tiffany's necklace and everywhere along the way there's this hey we're almost there. We got you. Just one more goal, one more goal. And so there was these goals and it was simple. So you, you had to dress appropriately. You had these goals and it was people to do. And then you had these coaches that would get you there. And then by the end, you were surrounded by this huge crowd of people. And because I was like the back, back third, you know, it was all of the friends, all of the supporters, all the cancer survivors, and then all the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who finished before me were all there cheering me on as I finished. And I'm like, this was an incredible race. I should do this every time. But the shame of the front end kept me from ever doing that. But the reason why I tell you that story is, A, um, well, because we all should run a Nike half marathon at some point. But as I was preparing for today's sermon, I realized I think that the author of Hebrews is probably a sponsor or would have been a sponsor for their local Nike women's half marathon. Like, we don't know who the author is, and so I think maybe it was a sponsor to their local... um, half marathon, women's half marathon at that. So we're going to take a look, unpack this passage of scripture. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we have Bibles in front of you. I don't even know what page it's on. If you have it on your cell phone or whatever, that's great. But turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're finishing up our whole long series in Hebrews. Hebrews 11 was this gigantic long chapter of all these heroes of faith, all these incredible people who trusted God. And we looked at several of those stories. And this morning we're going to wrap it up um, by looking at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I'm telling you, she was ready. This person was all dialed in for the Nike half marathon. It starts out with, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses. And there's kind of two different ways that you can look at this passage. Commentators kind of are, are divided. There's the one way, which is like the end of the Nike marathon, where all these people have gone before you. Everyone's gone before you. They've run the faithful race. They've, they, were, they were these heroes of faith. They did their part. They served God. 
And then they pass the baton on to the next person and to the next person. And now they're all in heaven. They're all sitting in this gigantic stadium looking down at us at Marin Covenant Church and like, we did our part and they're cheering us on. And there's this encouragement. If you ever run a long race, when someone's like, you got this, and they'll say your number, they'll say your name, they're cheering you on. And this picture we have in scripture is that all of these faithful saints, those marked in scripture and all those unmarked people for all of time who have been faithful to Jesus for all of history are standing in heaven, looking down at Marin Covenant, going, you got this. You get the baton. You run. Run hard. You have these 40, 80 years of your life. Run hard. This is your moment. Another commentary said, put it this way, said, it's actually these, what they've done is this cloud of witnesses, is they are a cloud of witnesses. They are a group of people who are faithful to God. They showed us what it was like to be faithful to God. God's invisible. How do we figure out how to follow him? Well, there's been all these people before us who have been faithful and followed God. And so we have this picture in Hebrews 11 and for the church for the last 2,000 years of people who have gone before us who have followed God, who have followed God faithfully, who have put on certain disciplines, who have said yes in really hard situations. And when we are around those people, when we hear those stories, we are encouraged because now we're not just, you know, wandering aimlessly through the forest trying to find our way to God, but there's this clear marked path of all these people who have gone before us. So we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And therefore, because we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, either they're in heaven cheering for us or they've cleared this path for us, no matter how you figure it out, we here at Marin Covenant 2015 have the baton. And the question for us is what are we going to do in our moment and in our time? So we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses and so we have to put it into action. So our great running coach gives us a few things to think about. He says that we must throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That we need to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The very first thing we're going to do, if we're going to be these people, if we're going to run this race, if this moment, 2015, with the baton here at Marin Covenant, if we're going to run faithfully the race that God's marked out for us, we have to get rid of the things that slow us down. Any endurance runner knows that you do not have extra stuff with you. Every single thing you put on your body, you are intentionally putting on your body that day. So we have to get rid of the sin and, the, and it's funny because it says, what does it say, say here? It says, um, everything that hinders and the sin. So we know the big no-nos, the Ten Commandments, like quit killing people. Okay, we got that. Um, so there's all sorts of sins. You, look, you read through Scripture, there's things that are sin. Great, sin, sin, sin. But there's also things that just slow us down, that may not be sin. There's the, all the gray areas. And the culture that we live in, everything, everything seems to be gray. The big no-nos, we know that those are all. We don't do those. We can justify everything else. But what about all those gray areas? Well, if we're going to run well, we have to own what those gray areas are and put those aside, maybe for a season, maybe for all time. The hard part is part of our church, our church is so diverse, which means your thing that hinders may be totally different than my thing that hinders. Your thing that you love may be the thing that actually hinders me. And we as mature Christians have to make space for each other to be on this journey together. But let us at least ask the question, are we throwing off the things that hinder us? Are we getting rid of the sin that's in our life? And we cannot stop when it gets hard. Faith is hard. All the stories of faith, those people, we get these one-sentence snapshots. They have these entire lives of very challenging things. And I love what Jeff says, give God a day, right? Life gets really hard. 
Give God a day. Give God a week. The most faithful people, I love the story of Joseph, 15 years. 15 years from God's like, hey, you're going to be this person to it coming together. 15 years. Some of you have been wandering through the desert of your soul for a very long time. Keep being wandering. Keep being together. Let us encourage you. We have to be, persevere when things get hard. All people who do great things, runners, weightlifters, musicians, artists, they are all people who do great things because they've pushed through. When things have gotten hard, they've pushed through, and now they've gone to the other side. And our faith is the same way. Faith is just like every other muscle. It is challenging, and there's going to be challenges. And we just, if we throw up our hands, we are going to miss what God has for us. And we must keep our eye on the goal. We have to know what we're running after. And unfortunately, the church and Christianity is such this communal weird thing. And we have a very bad rap in our culture. We have uh, relatives who give Christianity a really bad rap. We have neighbors who give Christianity a really bad rap. Maybe the person next to you is giving Christianity a really bad rap. But Christianity is, is a thing. It's about people and it's about us. But at the end of the day, it's, that's not the goal. Our goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. If you said, man, all right, I'm going to follow you, Ben. Ben, you do it right. I'm going to see what you do, and then we're going to follow Jesus together. Man, it'll be about 10 seconds before you realize, oh, geez, this is on the wrong course. Right? I'm just a broken and flawed person trying to figure out how to know and love Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. We as a church go, man, let us all continue to follow Jesus. Don't follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, Paul said that, follow me as I follow Jesus, but they didn't have the Bible. They were figuring out the church, and, uh, and Paul messed some stuff up. Well, I don't know if he did. Sidebar. Okay. Um, your job is to fix your eyes on the goal to follow Jesus. And together as a church, let us encourage each other to follow Jesus. Now, those are no-brainers. Throw off the sin that messes us, with us, messes us up. Uh, keep running even when things get hard and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. No-brainer. Now, if we all did that, we'd all be super Christians. But the real question is, why do we not? There's nothing new here, right? This is like Christianity 101, super simple. But here's why none of us do it. It's because none of us do it. It's because... There's just simple, small habits that all of us think we, we don't need or we get over. And I read this incredible, life-changing book. It's called The Power of Habit by uh, Charles Duhigg. I highly, highly recommend it. It's about personal habits and corporate habits and societal habits. I have a little picture of it, um, and you can, so you can Google it or Amazon it. And it is incredible. But what this guy says, Charles Duhigg, what he says in The Power of Habit, is he says most people think when they want to change something, I want to be this kind of Christian. I want to have this kind of faith. Well, then I need to stop this and do this and don't do this and don't do this. And we arrive at this list of 20 things that we need to do. And then if we do those 20 things, we're going to be great. But most of us, we're not disciplined enough to do 20 things. We're not even disciplined enough to do five things. And what Robert Duhigg says, is he says, you know what you should do? Pick one thing. Now, not one random thing. Think of all the things that you do and pick one thing. And if you change that one thing, you put all of your energy and effort into that one thing, he calls it a keystone habit. When you pick that keystone habit, you invest in that one thing, then all these other things will kind of come together. So I'm going to give us a couple examples. So for those of you who got dragged here by your spouse, um, or you just wandered in, or you have these issues like I do, how do you lose 10 pounds? All right, super simple. We all want, I want to lose 10 pounds uh, more than anything. I know what I shouldn't do. I should eat less, exercise more. No brainer, right? Except... I, I can't do it. So this guy says, pick one thing. All right, here's the one thing. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't even worry about trying to run a certain amount of miles. How about this? What if you moved your body for 45 minutes every day? Moved your body, walked, run, bike, whatever it is. If that's all you did, 
all of your energy was making space 45 minutes every single day, well, what will happen is gradually you'll be like, walking is kind of boring. Maybe I'll walk a little faster. Maybe I'll run. Oh, maybe I'll bike. And what will happen is all of a sudden you'll do those things. You like, like doing those things, and all of a sudden the Big Mac doesn't seem as appealing, right? All of a sudden, man, I, I can't breathe as well because of my cigarettes. I'm going to lay off my cigarettes. Like, whatever the thing is, right? It's, you're, instead of doing all the things you should stop, you pick one thing, and that thing naturally spills over into everything else. Does that make sense? All right, so now we'll talk into some more spiritual stuff. So we have a couple things I think that we as a church should try to get after. One of those is this. If we are going to be the kind of people that God has for us, if we are going to run after all that God has for us in 2015, surrounded by the cloud of witnesses going, this is your time, then it starts and ends with you knowing and loving Jesus. That's where it starts and ends. But how do you know and love Jesus? Right? Now, if we take these things, right, man, okay, there's certain sin issues. If you, if you only know the Ten Commandments, that's a great place to start. As you start reading through Scripture, God's going to percolate stuff. As stuff comes up, man, we've got to get rid of those things. We realize that if we know and love Jesus, man, faith is going to be hard. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When things are hard, we need people around us. That's why we want to be in small groups and being connected so that when I'm going through something difficult, someone else can tell a story and, and encourage me and pray for me and sit with me, Right? So faith is hard, and we need people who are going to do that with us. And we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So our faith has to begin and end with Jesus. But then we also have to pick a habit. So if you think, man, how do I do that? What sins should I get rid of? And, and, and how do I do these different things? Well, what, let's just pick one habit. What's one thing you can do? Here's one thing you can do. We do this with our students all the time. Oh, read one chapter of Scripture a day. Oh, it's so dumb. That's so easy. One chapter, four minutes. I know, one chapter, but think about it. If you just did that today, you would read all of 3 John. You've cranked out one whole chapter, one whole book of the Bible. You're Bible scholars now. If you just did that four in a week, now you're Colossians. You've just read through like one of the best books in the whole Bible. If you do it six times a week, you've read through all of Ephesians, right? Think about the last time you read through Ephesians. It's funny, we all want to do these things, but our lives get too busy. And we go, oh, four minutes is not good enough. Four minutes, man. Start with a habit. And what will be interesting is if you can do a habit that you can succeed in, God will actually grab a hold of your heart and tune your heart. I had lunch with a, with a guy. In fact, is John here? No. I had lunch with John. Uh, he's the ice cream guy, and, and we were talking about it. He's like, you know, he just became a Christian. He loves God. He's like, and I'm almost done with the Old Testament. I was like, no. <laughs> Don't read the Old Testament. That's the worst, you know? I love God. He's like all excited to figure out who God is. And we go, hey, check out genocide and incest. Like that's not helpful, you know? So if you're a Bible scholar and you got things figured out, go back to Genesis and figure it out. But if you're trying to figure out how do I follow Jesus? What does Jesus have for me? Quit trying to be a Bible scholar. Check out John, man. John's awesome. The Gospel of John's going to tell you everything you want to know about Jesus. John helps explain it for like normal people, why Jesus said what he said. You know, it's great. If you're ready for some theology, Ephesians. Oh, Ephesians is so good. Plus, it's six chapters. You could be done in one week. You get what I'm trying to say? If we, you have to know and love Jesus. That's where it begins, and it starts with the most simple habit. And that simple habit just begins making time for God, making time for God's Word, one chapter a day. If you've been doing it, if you're, if you're retired like Beth Batchelder and she's like, I spend four hours with Jesus every day. Well, spend 30 minutes praying for me. Maybe that could be the thing that you add. You know, so add those things on. All right, so that's one. Here's another, another thing. If we are going to be the people that God has for us to be, we need to know and love Jesus. The second thing is we have to be people who our entire stance is one of blessing, that we long to be people who bless others. That's our stance. We can't know and love Jesus in our stance be, and now we're going to be in conflict with the world. 
That's not our stance. It may have been at one point, but that's not our stance anymore. Our stance towards the world is we are to be a blessing towards others. We are to be a blessing in our church, and we are to be a blessing in our neighbors, uh, to our neighbors and in the whole world. And what's so fun is our church is already full of these people. I had to like stop soon, but these were some people. Martha Palm has been serving uh, children's ministry downstairs forever. She, but my kids know and love Jesus because of her. Ray Lautenberg, he's old and he's still helping out in junior high group. Um, Ken, Ken and Susan Martini made coffee today. How awesome is that? Thank you for that. Um, we have all these if table leaders who are like, now women's ministry has all these places connection all over the place. People just said, I want to know and love people. Here's places I'm going to get, jump in and are getting after it. And our church is full of people who love our community. Linda Hen, who loves and, uh, students as well, and she's a part of this task force to help bring awareness for drug and alcohol abuse with kids. Gina Vucci, who's doing all sorts of work with homeless kids. Rob Bridges, who does stuff with Alpha. Marin- Michelle Huff, who uh, does things at uh, Mentor Me in Hamilton. And Dan Lewis, who uh, he's like, man, I can't mentor kids because I'm killing it in San Francisco in the financial district. So he goes, oh, let's grab a bunch of guys from the financial district in the city and like, let's meet together and pray on, on Thursdays. And Dan Lewis and a couple of the guys from church are a part of that. We have to be people who our stance towards the world is to bless others. So we have to throw off our distractions. We have to keep at it when it's hard. And we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so what's the habit that we can do? Here's where it gets awful again. I'm sorry if you're brand new. But one of the habits, the easiest habit, unfortunately, is that we have to invest. We have to be people who are invested in our community, invested in the life of the church. We have to be people Our heart goes where our money goes. And if you want to be people who bless others, then we need to be generous. We need to be generous in our church. We need to be generous in our community. We need to be generous in our schools. We need to be generous with our neighbors. When people anywhere in our context, if they have a need, it should be us. It should be Christians who go, oh, I got that. We should not be so paycheck to paycheck that we cannot be a blessing to other people. There's people in our church who are less than paycheck to paycheck and are like, Oh, here's a pot pie for your family. Oh, my goodness. I'm so blessed. Like, right? We are generous people. Wherever we invest, there our heart will be also. So my, 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 my gentle nudge for you as a church is to do these two things. Would you come up with a plan to know and love Jesus? Allow Jesus to actually form you, to shape you, to mold you. And would you be a person who, would, who stands toward the world would be that of blessing? Would you be so generous, not just with your time, not just with your resources, but with your heart? But specifically for today, because I'll get in trouble if I don't say, we also need you to be um, invested in your resources as well. Come up with a plan. And we, it's simple. How much am I going to give? Every week I write a check for that or online, right? Those things allow your heart to be connected to those things. Um, my wife and I, we are super invested in our kids' school at San Ramon. My wife does all these things with teachers. I do some stuff with dads. We have auctions. We love giving our time and money. And what's crazy is the more and more we've given our time and money to San Ramon, the more and more I'm invested. I've never cared what, who the principal was at any school, even the schools I went to as a kid. I never cared. But now I'm invested. We're getting a new principal next year. I'm like, who's this person? And I'm already praying for her. And I'm already thinking, man, how can I be a blessing to her? Who's, how's this person going to be shaping my kid? Because I'm invested, I'm all in. And I even realized it, it's just my heart went there because my time went there and my money went there. So we as a church, if we want to bless people, man, let's give to those things. And when you give to Marine Covenant Church, you have to know that that money is not just going and paying for my salary, which is great and thank you, 
but it's, it's providing for ministry for kids. It's providing ministry for students. It's providing ministry for men and for women. We have this gigantic benevolence slush fund that we get to be so generous with some of the most needy people in our congregation, in our community. Right? Our church gives money to places all over the world. There's places in the Congo that are impacted greatly because of your generosity. There's churches that are planted because of your generosity. So we all don't need to have all the thousand ways, but our church and our pastors and leadership team are wrestling with God and with each other of the places to invest that money. I have one last thing before I wrap things up. You see these front rows, there's a couple open chairs. Hey, and Todd, hey, Todd. Think about this. In those open chairs, just simply represent people who are not here yet. It'd be super fun if our church were, was just all of us who were best friends. But our church longs to be church that is a blessing to our whole community. And part of being a blessing are making space for people to come and know Jesus, which means we want people from every context every demographic, every background to come and be a part of our church community. And there's an open chair, which means there's someone who's not here yet. And as a staff, we sat around and we started sharing stories. Who is new this last year? In one year, who are the people that are brand new? And we started naming people. We started thinking of people and we started telling stories of people. I'm like, oh man, it's been a year. It hasn't even been a year. And, our, and it was like, I, I thought it was going to be this like five minute thing. Tell because I'm a, I'm a time person. That's my job. I, I have a five minute devotional time. I was trying to be all strict. Tell the name, tell the story. And we'd all go around a circle. But before I knew it was 30 minutes because everyone's like, oh, and this person and this person. And from this background, and it's crazy. It's from like, I mean, every background, every demographic, every political background, every economic background, you know, it's crazy. It is so complex, the people that God allows to, us to come to our church. And we were just thinking and sharing stories and being thankful and praying for those people. But there are people who are still not here yet. And so how can we make space for them? Think about this. There's been people in our church who have provided for you. And now we're just simply asking, will you now provide for other people? There have been faithful saints who have come before, who uh, invested in you spiritually invested in you relationally, invested in you financially, invested in this place for all those things. People have invested in us. And now it is our turn. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It's our time with the baton. And it's our turn to run. So would you make space for those people? Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith.